I never realized how much I took for granted the physical gathering of the body of Christ until the last 18 months. And that probably seems like an obvious statement. Maybe many of you feel that way. I remember the week leading up to March 15th, 2020. March 15th was the first Sunday that we were online only. And I remember being in a conference room with our staff leadership team as we were making that decision of, you know, to, to not meet physically in person. And on the one hand, we were a little excited because we thought we've already got the technology. We've been streaming the Brentwood services already for years. We're ready to go. This will be a new challenge. It'll be a new thing. The body of Christ can still worship together online and, and all that's true. But on the other hand, there was this pit in my stomach and this heaviness that we all felt because for 2,000 years, the physical gathering of the body of Christ is the primary way that the church has lived out our call to community together. And we believe here at Fellowship very strongly that it matters for the people of God to gather physically. Now, I know some of you are watching online. We've got a pretty significant online audience even right now watching, and I'm glad that you're online. This morning is gonna primarily be about why it matters for the body to be embodied, to be physically gathered together. And I'll say this, there are a number of ways that we can be in community together as a church. But this morning, I want us to consider the uniqueness of Sunday mornings the uniqueness of the corporate worship service. Why is coming together for this hour or so, or so is based on who's teaching. <laughs> Why is coming together for an hour or so every week such a critical and sacred rhythm for the people of God? That's the question that we're gonna be answering this morning. And, and I'll say one last thing as a way of introduction. Here's why this message matters so much to each of us. Because Sunday mornings can either be a peripheral part of your week that honestly doesn't really help much at all and you just kind of stumble back through all the things going on in your life, or Sunday mornings can become enormously life-giving and and soul-sustaining, like an anchor point that starts your week in a way that helps you follow Jesus throughout every day. And believe it or not, which one of the two of that is less about how well Lloyd or Rob preaches or how Carl or Lindsay lead or whether or not you like the songs that were chosen that morning. It's less about all that stuff, less about what happens up here on the stage and more about how you all, and myself included as a part of this body, how we understand what's going on in this room and whether or not we engage it with our hearts. I really believe that. So why do we gather? You know, why, why bother, so to speak? The passage that Lindsay read has at least three compelling reasons. And I'm gonna dig into each of them one by one. The first will not surprise you. Number one, we gather to worship God. First and foremost, I want to dig back into the text together. And this time, as I, as I read it again, I want to highlight the temple images that are in this text. And then I'll talk about why it matters so much. So, so take a look again, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that's a temple 
reference. By the blood, a lot of blood going on uh, in and around the temple of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That's a temple reference. We'll talk about that. That is through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest or great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, right? Cleansing images is temple language. From an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Pure water. It would be impossible for me to overstate how significant the temple was to the Jewish people all the way up until it was destroyed in AD 70. It would be impossible for me to overstate that. The temple was the place where they worshiped. There were not multiple temples. There were not multiple places to worship. In fact, when we hear worship today, we think singing, we think other ways that we can worship, and obviously we worship with our whole lives, etc. And we know we can do that anywhere. We don't have to be in a physical location. But for the Old Testament and the first century Jews, worship technically only happened in one physical location. Worship for them was not synonymous with singing or anything else. Worship was synonymous with making a sacrifice at the temple. That is what is meant when you read in your Old Testament. Abraham worshiped, like he didn't have a temple back then, but he went to the sacred place and he worshiped. When the temple was built, first by Solomon, then it was later rebuilt after the exile, that was always the one place where you worshiped. You could not build another place. They had synagogues, which were community gatherings, but there was one temple, one place to worship God. Not only that, but there was a hierarchy around the temple, a hierarchy of access. So the temple was the place where you worshiped. The temple was the place where God lived, God dwelled, but you could only get so close. And what what determined how close you could get was your nationality, your gender, your position. So let me explain how this works. The outermost layer was called the court of Gentiles. Anybody could come into that. Jew, Gentile, alike. Now you're, you're six layers out. This is the sixth layer from the presence of God. And, and by the way, when I say the presence of God, we, we think about this idea of God is everywhere. And, and they knew God was everywhere. But God was particularly present at the temple in Jerusalem. The Shekinah glory of God indwelled the temple. The temple, from the Hebrew perspective, and and not, not wrongly theologically, the temple is where heaven and earth met. The most sacred spot on the earth, the dwelling place of God. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was prior to the exile. So the physical presence of God, in a particular sense, was at the temple. Gentiles could only get so close, six layers out, so to speak. Now, five layers out was the court of women. And I am sorry, women. I mean, honestly, it's not good. It's terrible. So, so, you know, Gentiles here, women could only come in one more step beyond that, and only Jewish women. Then the next layer in was called the court of Israel, and this was for Hebrew men, Jewish men, unless they were a priest, they could not go any further. So we're we're still at layer four. And a devout Jew, unless they were a priest, could go no further than the court of Israel. Four layers up. Jesus Christ himself 
from a human perspective as a Jewish male could only go into the court of Gentiles, four layers out. The third layer out was called the court of priests. I've, I've got an image of this one that I want to show you. This is actually where the sacrifices were made. Now, we're not yet in the sanctuary building yet. We're still in the courtyard surrounding it. This is where the altar was. There was a big basin of water. This is the, the priests had to go through this big cleansing process to cleanse their bodies, et cetera, before they would enter into this space. Um, if you brought, as a Jewish person, if you brought an animal to worship God with, a sacrifice, unless you were a priest, you would not offer it on the altar. You would hand it to the priest. The priest who was cleansed, had gone through all the ritual cleansing, would then take the animal and would kill it, would burn it on the altar and bring you back the meat and you would go and eat the meat with your family and friends as the feast. That's how this works. So the, only the priest could come that far. This was the, the court of priests. Then if you went in, that's layer three, if you go inside the sanctuary itself, we're now in layer two, you can see there was this open hallway space and there was some ornamental objects, but the presence of God, the, the innermost layer, was behind that curtain and it was called the Holy of Holies. This image shows the curtain open just so you can see what was behind it, but in the actual temple, that curtain never would have been open. That curtain would have been always closed and so the priests could approach the curtain but could not go behind the curtain curtain is where the Ark of the Covenant was, where, where the, the, it was said the throne of God was, was right there but between the seraphim. The only person that could go behind that curtain was the high priest. One person in all of the earth at any given time could go behind that curtain. And him only one day of the year. The Day of Atonement. One day out of 365 one person of the millions that inhabited the earth at any one, that's the only person that could go into the presence of God. And, and by the way, you walk in there, they have a rope tied around him in case he was struck dead while he was in there because he wasn't clean, they had to pull him out. This is serious. This is the temple. This is the sanctuary. Now with that in mind, look again at our text. We'll put it on the screen. The author of Hebrews is saying, we have confidence to enter the holy places. The holy places is a reference to the sanctuary and the holy of holies. Oh my goodness. What has changed? The blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Oh my goodness. You see, the author of Hebrews is saying the body of Jesus is like the curtain which was torn in two on the day that he died. The, 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 the tearing or, or, or the, the brokenness of the body of Jesus has uh, uh, thrown open access to God's presence. We don't have to fear being struck dead and being pulled out of there with a rope. If our faith is in Jesus Christ, we can have full confidence to enter the holy place. So therefore, verse 22, let us draw near. Guys, this was world-changing thought. This was incredible theology that changed the worship of the people of God from this point forward. It is because of this theology that we can say we are here this morning to worship. 
No animal sacrifices, no particular place, no, no temple in Jerusalem. And in this honestly not very awesome looking room, <laughs> warehouse looking room, we are able to experience the presence of God. Now, God's revelation to us so far in Hebrews 10 is that Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth. He's the portal between our space and God's space. You know, you know Jesus is the way to the Father, and because of that, there is, I want to circle this, a new and living way. There is a new and living way that we worship. So what is really going on on Sunday mornings in this room is we are, we are living out a new and living way and we are drawing near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, heart sprinkled clean from evil conscience, et cetera, or et cetera. By the way, in this context, the, the command, let us draw near, is a call to worship. It's like Carl or, or Lindsay or Luke, when they lead worship, if you've ever noticed, on, on every Sunday morning at some point in time, they'll say, here's why we're here. So let us worship. It's a call to worship. And that's what's going on. Based on what Christ has done for you, draw near to the Father through him. And so some of you in the room this morning, and this next couple minutes are just for you, some of you in the room this morning come in every week and you feel so unclean. And you do not believe that you can or should draw near to God. You probably don't even want to draw near to God, if you're honest. You feel so unworthy to be in the presence of God if, if you actually imagine that there is a presence of God. And I want to tell you, not from my authority, but from the authority of God's spirit speaking through the text this morning, God is saying to you, let Jesus cleanse you and draw near. I, I believe God's spirit would say to you this morning, dare to believe that the sacrifice of Jesus was to make you clean and say, oh, but Rob, okay, maybe that was true at one point in my life, but I've done so many bad things since then. Don't you realize Jesus died before you did any of it? And when he died, he died for all of it. If you will just believe that the sacrifice of Jesus is for you, not just for the world, not just for, you know, people that really are God kind of people. For me, for you. If you will just believe that and if you will receive it as your cleansing, your heart will be instantly sprinkled clean and your body instantly washed with pure water. And isn't it beautiful that the text addresses our hearts and our bodies because we sin with both. And then, 
once by faith you believe, you can draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Men and women, it is a faith exercise. You cannot clean yourself up to have access to God. You wouldn't be able to, even if you tried. It is a faith exercise. You come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And through faith you believe, my heart and my body have been cleansed and made pure to enter into the very presence of God. And so the author here says, have confidence. Draw near. So, we gather to worship God, to be in the presence of God together. And we don't have to be together to worship God, but as we'll talk about as we go along, there is something unique and special about the body of Christ being together in our worship. The second reason we gather is to learn to follow Jesus. So we come here to worship, we come here to learn to follow Jesus. Look at verse 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What is the confession of our hope? Jesus Christ died, buried, and raised again. What is the confession of our hope? It it is our shared belief in Jesus that through his life, his death and resurrection, he blazed a trail for us to follow, a trail of, of freedom, a trail of wholeness, that as we follow Jesus, there is a hope, not just in what is to come, although that's massive, but there is a hope even now that we can find life, that we are finding life as we struggle and stumble, but all toward following Jesus. So let us hold fast this confession. The confession of our hope is what we spoke together in Colossians 1 earlier in our service. The confession of our hope is what we sang together in that, you know, I believe in God our Father and the other songs too. There's something important about our voices united, speaking the same words, singing the same lyrics that reminds us we are not alone, that encourages the people around us to know that they're not alone, and that can only happen when we're together. So when we gather together on Sundays, we look around, we remember we're not alone in what we believe. We're holding fast to the confession of our faith. And we remember that our core identity in life is not banker or musician or pastor or mom or dad or grandparent or real estate agent. Our core identity in life is follower of Jesus. By the way, our core identity is not believers in the Bible, although I hope that's true and I hope that's an identity that we share. Our core identity in life is not solid, moral, valued people, although I think that is good as well, but our core identity is followers of Jesus. Here's here's what I mean by this. 
When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, he did not say go into all the world and, 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 and create a, a solid society based on biblical principles. Now, is that something we can do that God could be glorified in? Yes, but that is not the great commission. The great commission is go into all the world and make disciples, Jesus is saying, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I, Jesus says, commanded you. And so I want to talk about why we teach the Bible at Fellowship Bible Church. Y'all know we make a big deal about the Bible here, and we, we, we teach it expositionally, and, and that's a lot of it for you. It's why you're here. It's why you chose this church. It's because you want to go to a church that teaches the Bible expositionally, etc. I also want you to know that we teach the Bible the way we do, not because the Bible is the center of our faith, but because the Bible points us to Jesus and teaches us to follow Jesus, who is the center of our faith. And that's a subtle but very important difference. The Bible teaches us to be disciples of Jesus. So the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. How do we know what Jesus commanded? The scripture. By the way, we don't just teach the New Testament, obviously. We teach the Old Testament as well. Why do we teach the Old Testament? Well, all of it's the word of God. That's 100% true. But I'd also challenge you to think of it this way. We teach the Old Testament because the Old Testament points us to Jesus, because the Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus himself loved and obeyed. And if we want to follow him, we want to learn about that. And because the Old Testament contains the law that Jesus came to fulfill. But we are not burdened by that law. We are followers of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit can speak to us through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and he's always going to be pointing us to Jesus Christ, no matter what passage we're in. That's how Lloyd and I teach here. That's why, if you've ever noticed, at some point in the sermon, whether we're in Nehemiah or Ecclesiastes or Exodus, Jesus is going to show up. Every verse points to him. So we gather together to worship God. We gather together to follow Jesus. And, and oh, by the way, I love verse 24. Consider how to stir up one another. Uh, that word is provocative in the Greek. It's almost always used in a negative sense except here. It's true in English as well. What things get stirred up? Revolution, uh, dissension sometimes, things, uh, arguments get stirred up. What are we called to stir up? Love and good works. But make no mistake, it's a stirring up because the world without Jesus Christ is not known for love and good works. And we are following Jesus when we stir each other up to love and good works because Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's not just an, an emotional thing, guys. That's a wholehearted thing. We, we are to make choices made out of love for God and love for people. So we are continuing the revolution that Jesus started, a revolution of love and good works with Jesus Christ as the center. Now, you can't truly do love and good works without Jesus Christ as the center because they just become twisted. They become selfish. They become vain. They lead to all kinds of nonsense. But when Jesus Christ is at the center and you love people and you do it in a way that shows up actively, that is what it looks like to follow our Savior. We are to stir one another up to love and good work. So, one more. Oh, slow down, Rob. I'm getting like fired up up here. 
This is what happens when y'all let me rest for like a month and then I come back. We, are, we gather to worship God. We gather to learn to follow Jesus. And number three, we gather to fellowship in the spirit. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, you may be asking, Rob, where are you finding the Holy Spirit in this passage? The Greek word translated encouraging is parakleto, or, uh, or, sorry, parakaleo, and, and it's the same word Jesus used in John 14, parakleton, of the Holy Spirit. The encourager. This word in English is a little weak, you know, it's like, let me encourage you, bless your heart, you know, that kind of idea, or I'm gonna give an encouraging word. In the Greek, from a biblical perspective, it means to come alongside. So as the Holy Spirit comes alongside us as our encourager, he is with us, we are called to come alongside one another, encourage one another. That requires physical presence at least to live it out in the fullness of the biblical context. When the, the paraclete in me, you know, the Holy Spirit, the encourager in me, and the paraclete in you, the Holy Spirit in you, gather together in this room, Jesus says he is present. Matthew chapter 18, for where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. By the way, the context of that passage is re uh, resolution of conflict, but the principle absolutely applies that when the people of Jesus gather together, he's present with us. It's interesting to me that there had become, uh, in this context, the habit of some. That word habit is interesting. A habit is hard to break, and in their cultural context, just as in ours, uh, uh, for some, they had gotten into a habit that was hard to break of just staying home, of saying, ah, it's not that big a deal, it's not that important. I know in the COVID season, it was easy to get in the habit of just staying home and staying in your pajama pants, you know? Pajama pants are a hard habit to break. But here you are this morning. And for those of you online, I want to say something to you because it's important what you're doing as well. But I'm also trying to call us to gather. And, and here's how I'd say it. If you can physically and safely be a part of your church tangibly with your body, come. And I know that does not apply to everybody. I know there are some who cannot physically or safely come. If that applies to you, I'm not speaking to you, but if you can physically and safely come, come. Because the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit here in this room, we're gonna encourage you and you're gonna encourage us. And just your mere presence here this morning, even if you spoke to no one, you being here is an encouragement. Because look around the room. Look at these people that have prioritized this hour this morning. And again, I'm trying to be sensitive to those online because I, I know some of you, you, you can't be here, but if you can be here, it matters. Habits work the other way too. Good habits are hard to break. And so if you will commit to developing a good habit of being here, I'll tell you what'll happen. It, 
it's a little like if you're trying to get healthier and uh, you could say, well, I'm gonna eat healthy and you eat one healthy meal, feel good about yourself, it will not do a lick of good. <laughs> but if you develop a habit, a rhythm of healthy meals, over time, you will change. That is the same as being here. One worship service to attend or once every while, honestly, God, it's not gonna do that much good. But over time, the habit will grow you into maturity and the habit of you being here is growing this body into maturity. Amen. So, why do we gather? Three reasons. We gather to worship God, to learn to follow Jesus, and to fellowship in the Spirit. And I, I want you all to know that these worship services that, that we guide from the stage are, are not about us on the stage. They're about us as a body. And those of us who have stewardship, leadership in this church, we take these three things very seriously. A lot of time and effort goes into these worship services, not because we're trying to create a show, not because we want to be the hottest church in the area. We don't care about that. We want to help people worship God and learn to follow Jesus and fellowship in the Spirit. And so I, I want to let you in behind the, the stage, so to speak, on how we think about our worship services here. Once a month, myself and Lloyd and all of our worship team and production team and several other creative people on our staff, we, we get away together for a half day every month and we start planning the upcoming worship services. We're usually looking four to six weeks out. We always start with the text that is scheduled to be taught on that day. And we'll read the text together. We'll study the text together. We'll talk about thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices related to that passage of scripture. We'll pray together over it. And then we'll start brainstorming. Song ideas, illustration ideas, creative ideas. Then our worship team, led by Carl, takes that information and they go and they start sculpting each individual service based on that first meeting. And they're plugging in more specific songs and they're making changes and come up with ideas. Then on Wednesday mornings, every week, 9 to 10 a.m. in our conference room, the teachers and the worship and production folks gather. We review the previous Sunday and we look ahead to the next Sunday and make any changes that need to be made. We work off of an order of service using an online tool called Planning Center. And I want to show you our order of service for this morning because I want to show you something about this. Here it is. I know you can't read all of this. You don't have to. This starts from the top of the service. Whoops, forgive me. This starts from the top of the service and works its way down. It, it has the songs that are on there, the amount of time they should take. And you know those times have a little flex to them. <laughs> <laughs> maybe more than they should sometimes for me and Lloyd. Uh, but we, we work through this service. But here's what I want to point out. We have here at Fellowship a liturgy. Many of you didn't know that. 
Here's our liturgy. Every week, we're gonna have a section themed on God's glory. Every week, we're gonna have a section themed on our community. Every week, we're gonna have a section themed on God's word, and every week, we're gonna have a section themed on our response to hearing God's word. And so this week, God's glory, some songs up top. Uh, that was the beginning of the worship service. Our community this week, we said the creed together. We sang that creedal song in response to it. It's us joining together. Sometimes announcements fit in that spot. God's word is the reading and teaching of God's word. And then we always respond to God's word, either through the Lord's Supper or through, in this, in this case, we're gonna be doing the Lord's Supper and some singing. And it is a response to what the Spirit has spoken to us through the passage of the morning. All churches have a liturgy. Some are formal, some are informal. I wanted you to see what ours was. And I wanted you to see how, how that interlocks with what we're talking about earlier today. We're here to worship God. We're here to learn to follow Jesus through his word. And we're here to fellowship in the spirit. God's glory, our community, God's word, our response. And so this is how the services flow. Sometimes we change things around a little bit, but for the most part, this is how it flows. And I hope that encourages you and I hope you're mindful of what we're doing when you come in here every week. It really matters. All of it is for the purpose of our mission, glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. And what that means is putting Jesus at the center of all that you are because as you learn to follow him with your whole heart, you will find life and you will find such life that it can flow out of you to others. And we can all help people find wholehearted life in Jesus.